Howdy, y'all. Once again, this week of South of Scruffy Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Cosmetic. Cosmetic CBD-infused skincare products help ease aches, pain, inflammation, and arthritis by using their proprietary topical CBD formulas. Cosmetic's Hemp Pain Cream is the flagship product. It's the favorite one at the Fields House. You got to start with that one. Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is infused with their patented CBD formula, which naturally fights inflammation in achy muscles and joints. I rub it deep into any achy muscle in my body and it starts working within seconds. Each bottle of Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is infused with 400 milligrams of their proprietary CBD solution. And you can get 20% off of your entire cosmetic order by going to Cosmetics Online Store and using promo code SOS20. At checkout, that's SOS20. At checkout, be kind to your skin and go to cosmedicated.com. That's C A U S E medicated.com. Sweet. Do it. Podcast time. Well, welcome into SOS Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. I'm glad you found it. So I, uh, I talk to people here on the podcast. Oftentimes, people who make up the art scene here in Knoxville, and sometimes just people who I'm curious about. And today, my guest hits both of those criteria. Adim the Artist is here. Adim just released a new country album called Cast Iron Pansexual. It's awesome. I spun it a few times before they came in, and uh, I got into it, man. Big time. Uh, it's an album like uh, none other I've ever heard. It's um, it's an interesting album because you can hear Adeem working some things out in their songs. And it's things like gender identity, feeling out of place, reclaiming one's identity. And then uh, out of nowhere, Adeem just directly calls out Toby Keith for being a dress-up country artist. It's fantastic. You got to check it out. Cast Iron Pansexual. My conversation with Adeem was pretty enlightening. And I got schooled up on some uh, non-binary ethics and uh, it was really just a fun chat. So enjoy it. Here we go. Put them together for Adeem the Artist. We're doing the podcast. It's a bummer. It had its moment. Yeah. Syracuse? Yeah. It's a long way away. Yes. What, what, how'd you end up down here? <sighs> That's a... It's a, a like I moved here to be to be in the, like a, in the church. I was like a really big into Christianity yeah. at that point in time. Gotcha. But now I'm not. Mm. So it's like always an awkward question to know how to answer. <laughs> people like, change. You tell people that and they're like they're either like, "Oh, cool, where do you go to church now?" or they're like, "Oh, okay, noted." You know, <laughs> it's like a thing you have to get ahead of. So it's yeah. like, how do I get ahead of this in a way that's not offensive to the person that's asking if they're still, you know, very treacherous waters to Yeah. Religion is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when did you move? Uh, I moved here in 2010. Okay. So, so you've been here a minute? Yeah. I, I've left a couple times. I go away again, but. Back and forth? Mm-hmm. Dig it all right down here? Yeah, I like it here, I think. It's um, it's cool. It's close to everything. It feels weird. Like, it's changed a lot in the past few years, I feel like. um, Like, when I moved here, it was really big on being the scruffy city and it was like kind of grimy <laughs> like yeah. especially like downtown and i feel like there's been a lot of um concentrated effort to like convert the image of knoxville into being the maker city and mm. um having a, a kind of a cleaner aesthetic and yeah. um i don't i don't mm. always jive with like a lot of that nobody's gonna buy that 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to lean into what you got going for you. Yeah, yeah. Why did I, I used to live in Park Ridge and I feel like that's where I first heard your name or maybe saw your name written somewhere. I forget what it was. Did, did you do, have you always done, uh, have you always done music or did you do any other kind of art too? Um, uh, pretty much just some music. Yeah. I mean, I do other things, but I don't do any of it well. <laughs> where did I see your name written in Park Ridge? Any idea? They had a porch fest in Park Ridge, like okay. a neighborhood thing. Maybe it was a sign for your, that had your name on it or something. It could, could maybe, be. Maybe. Those porch parties were fun, man. Yeah. You know Aaron Searcy? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I used to live three doors down from him. Three doors down. <laughs> I still feel like Superman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a great neighborhood, man. Good, like, very culturally diverse and and socioeconomically diverse. And I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not just a bunch of uh, middle-class white people that live over there. Um, we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> Damn it, we're trying. It does kind of. It does. The G word is big over there right now, and has yeah. been for a while. Yeah. Um. It's it's you know fighting gentrification while you know. Yeah. Trying to still make it a, a you know a, a place that everybody can be. Everybody feels comfortable. Yeah. But it, I think it's a good representation of our town. Um. And there's a lot of tolerance. Yeah. In Park Ridge, which yeah. I appreciate. That's a lot. true. Because yeah, your neighbors don't look like you in a lot of, a lot of cases. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, but also you did uh, – I, I started hearing your name, seeing your name pop up. Uh, did you do the music for uh, Jody Collins' podcast? Oh, yeah. 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 Have you, you been know, on his podcast? I haven't been on his podcast. I, I tried – I went through today and tried to find you. I was like, surely he's been on Jody's podcast. He did the no, music for it. I never did it. Well, what the hell, Jody? Yeah. Well, when he was first starting it, it was like just like three hours of Jody talking to people. And I was like, well, I don't want to get recorded talking to Jody for three hours. <laughs> like the more comfortable you are with somebody, the more likely you are to say something offensive by accident. So that's <laughs> so you guys are pretty tight. So you don't want to want to do that. I like that cut though. It's, it's good. Rambling Man. Hank Sr. is one of my faves. Oh yeah. Of all it's time. Great. Yeah. It's great. Great. Uh, the best of the best. I wish they still made it like that, but you kind of are, I feel like. Thanks. That's a really high compliment. I mean, actually. it's, it's, it's the vocal is of course really nice with your music, but it's also with, and with what I've heard, which is the stuff on Spotify um, and specifically the new album, it's, it's stripped down. Um, it, it's about the music. It's, it, and there's not yeah. a whole lot of other bullshit to it. It's the music, it's the songwriting and it's the delivery and it's the message. Yeah, thank you. Some of that's just because I'm poor and I'm producing it myself. But yeah, I, it sounds. <laughs> I like good. to think that it's intentional. <laughs> it sounds good. Um, the uh, what was the Rolling Stone thing? Uh, the article there was uh, an article in Rolling Stone about one of your songs recently that I read. Yeah, that was pretty cool. They yeah. uh, I, I was listed as one of the country songs of the week in Rolling Stone, um, which is kind of the first. That was the first press I didn't have to explain to my friends why it was significant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's this kind of like, well, see, such and such started it back in. The, yeah. This is the first time where it was just like, oh, shit, Rolling Stone. That's that's yeah. a real one. Yeah. You know. What was it that caught their eye? Um, I had I had I had reached out to them. I mean, I, I reached out to a lot of people. I do pretty much every hat in the music stuff I wear myself. Um, and I think um, – just was good timing for some of the reckoning stuff that's happening in country music right now, especially as it applies to like, 
you know, it all being like straight white guys on the radio and, um, you know, you've got folks like Reese Palmer, who's like really big on like calling Nashville out for the ways that it's like totally underrepresented the many like amazing black artists and songwriters who have been there. Um, and also um, Hunter Kelly has a show on Apple Music now, which is all about like uh, gay and queer artists uh, in country in Americana spotlighting them. So I think there's been a lot of like push across the genre from people who give a shit. <laughs> there's a lot of people that don't give a shit and they have more power, but um, the people who do give a shit and have some influence are trying hard to kind of like reshape that narrative. And so I think that uh, a queer country album espousing communist values and <laughs> was, was a was definitely a subversive message to what's usually in the genre is that how you'd explain it i mean i think it's a very uh f- funny way to explain it to piss off somebody who might <laughs> otherwise enjoy it yeah there's like some some marxism involved and and yeah uh, some like gender reckoning and things like that on the on the album that's interesting you don't hear it paired with that kind of uh kind of guitar yeah very often yeah that was i would call it an accident i don't think that i set out to do that necessarily um but yeah i I think it just i think i just was those were the things i was interested in at the same time and they kind of coalesced in like a really cool way um i almost didn't release it i was supposed to be a thing for my patreon supporters i have like Mm -hmm. a patreon that was kind of like what I imagined might be the model of doing music when all the shows disappeared. And so I was like trying to get to 50 supporters or something. And then I was going to do an album mm. and I kind of lazily threw out the name cast iron pansexual, which is a play on like anytime you tell somebody you're pansexual, there's like, mm, like you want to fuck pots and pans. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, like, kind of the, the neat the response there. But, um, yeah, so I kind of toyed around with that idea, and I had some goofy songs in mind to put on it, and um, just my my wife encouraged me to like use it to like really explore, like do some shit, like really exhume, do some inner work, like put it in the music and make it something serious. Um, and so I kind of already had like four ish songs that I had that were waiting for the project um, that all kind of fit thematically with what I was thinking about doing, and so I just kind of started doing therapy for myself with the songwriting probably more than anything. Um, but country music is like most of what I listen to and most of what I absorb. So it makes sense that that's just the vehicle that came out. You know? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting bifurcated sound um, where you're, where you're, you know, it's old time country sounding, uh, but the message is very, uh, very, modern it's very accepted in 2021 and it's a lot of things that people are asking questions about themselves um and and to hear somebody i think actually um like you said do the therapy and 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 actually hear your inner uh, you know struggle with some of this stuff but also you know hear some some ways that you kind of seemingly have answered uh some of these questions uh, yourself is is really I don't know. It's it's really interesting, and and in a lot of ways, I bet it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to hear some of this. To to hear some of this, these topics uh, paired, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit. If you're listening to, if you're used to hearing the kind of music that it is, <laughs> right? Yeah, it certainly doesn't 
doesn't fit neatly in with the genre, <laughs> as it were. But it there, it's it's meaningful stuff, and I, I don't I'm not I don't know I hate when people just ask what were you thinking when you wrote this song, and I'm I'm not going to do that, but but uh, <laughs> but there was one you know I think it's as I've listened to the album a few times now. Um, there's a there's a lyric on the on the last song uh, where you say you're uh, trying to build a machine that can convert shame into celebration, and I feel like that to me answered a lot of the questions that you were asking on the album. Yeah, yeah, I love, yeah, I I love that so much because that's kind of what it is, right? You hear the machine at the end, and it's like, oh shit, this is the machine. <laughs> like this is it. Is the album the machine? I think I think the album is the machine and the building of the machine. I, I think it's like, um, I think, I think, I mean, it'd be kind of hacked to say that creativity is just the answer to all of it. But I do think that like using creativity to process and do the inner work that that I was talking about is like really imperative for everybody. Um, and so I think that's the the building of the machine. Gotcha. Tour. But there's a, there's a worship song. I don't know if you're religious at all, but there's like a worship song from, uh, from the nineties. It's uh, I'm trading my sorrows and I'm trading my shame and laying them down for the joy of the Lord. So it's kind of a, a bit of a, a bit of a turn on that phrase, mm. especially considering like religious trauma is a huge source of my shame. So yeah. it's kind of an inversion on that. It's probably true for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, have you heard from Toby Keith yet? No, no. Fucking radio silence from Toby. Um, I don't, he's probably mad at you if he's heard it. You think he's mad? I don't think he's heard it. Yeah. I, I go on his Twitter. I go on his like Twitter page because mm-hmm. I'm like, I wonder if because people will t- t- tweet at him, you know, yeah. and they'd be like, you heard the song, and then anytime he's mentioned, like I'm there, I'm like, hey, what's up, Toby? Have you heard this song? You know, it's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I haven't. I, I his Twitter page, like, so he's got like video posts that he makes like every four weeks, yeah, and it's like, it's like if you it, they they start in like November or December every like four weeks and they go up to now and it's like him wearing the same fucking clothes in front of this like same backdrop and he's just getting slowly drunker in the videos (laughs) you know and it's just like his PR team was just like we need some fucking content Toby you've got to do something for us and he was like all right well I'm at this Christmas party might as well do it goddamn right here you know (laughs) and so so that's like that's like all it is and so I'm I'm thinking he just has somebody that runs all the social media and then Every every four or five months, they're like, Toby, we need to get we need to get six more thirty second clips of you wishing people, you know, happy whatever holidays are going to happen in the next few months. The thing about that song in particular that uh, that I think is interesting is that I think you say you say the thing that a lot of purists feel, and a lot of. A lot of people who feel like Appalachia and um, our part of the country is kind of played up and used as a way to get notoriety, to make money, to appeal to people. And um, I think that's a legitimate gripe. Yeah. And can you explain a little a little bit about kind of what I'm what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I so I've I've flipped on this a little bit because before the song came out, even even like a week before I was supposed to like announce that it was like a real thing, I was like, I should not release this. That was like, scary. This song is like maybe unfair to Toby, you know. There's like a lot that I'm not considering. I don't know I don't know Toby Keith. I've never met him. I he seems like he doesn't seem like a nice guy. Actually, I don't think he does. But he could but, be. Fine. But he could be fine. Yeah. If I was at a party and Toby Keith walked over and was like, "Hey, uh, weird party," I'd be like, <laughs> "Sure enough, is." <laughs> you know what I mean? I wouldn't be like, "Why are you a misogynist?" <laughs> you yeah. Know? I would just be like, "Yep, we're both here, aren't we?" <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. I'm not. I, just not a confrontational person. Um, so that was like, and then, um, oh shit, like that week, um, I had I had floated the idea to Country Queer, which is like a music publication that centers all around like LGBT voices and country roots in Americana. Um, doing that song as a exclusive, mm. and uh, it was like I think it was like Monday. Toby Keith started trending because one of Donald Trump's last act was like to put a put a ribbon on him and give him some award. And he like went to the White House to get this mm-hmm. award. So like the internet was hating him. So I was like, look, we should do this shit, right? <laughs> like, All right, fuck it. <laughs> like, you know, it was to the point, I would say like the a couple weeks leading up to, to, to that moment, I was like reading about Toby Keith so much because I was like, I was like, He's had so much time to apologize. <laughs> like, he's not apologized. He's fair game. I'm not being mean. Because I think like, I think as like a white kid from the South, like I'm like so programmed still to like protect the honor of like white men, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like to like undercut that felt so like taboo to me. And mm. I think I felt a lot of anxiety. I know it would disappoint my father. I'm sure that my dad heard the song and I'm sure he fucking hated it. Really? You know, because it, it must sound like I'm just being like petty, mm. you know, which. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can see how someone could take that away from it. For a conservative white guy, yeah. it just sounds like, oh, you just don't have the success you wanted. And you know what I mean? And so you're going to take it out on somebody else rather than like being a hard worker, just like Toby Keith. Is. Yeah. Well, you know? it sounded like you're in some some ways standing up for the little guy and standing up for the culture. Where's Toby Keith from? Oklahoma? Yeah. Is yeah. that right? I think so. In Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And not to say that, uh, you know, red, white and blue American values are all about the, the South. Right. But but that's, you know, Texas and, and, and the Southeast are where that kind of music came from. I guess Oklahoma's Texas adjacent. Fine. Right. You know, but yeah. You know, it, it it still does feel like he appropriated culture a little bit. <laughs> no, it absolutely feels that way. Yeah. And I think I think the one way I, I feel very differently on the other side of it is I was so anxious about addressing all this class stuff that like I really didn't even meddle into the waters of like how fucking hard it was to be Middle Eastern <laughs> in the aftermath of that song coming out where the mm. where every radio at the time was like, we'll put a boot in your ass, you yeah. know, to be like, you know, there's fucking Sikhs getting assaulted in New York City who, 
you know, yeah. it's totally unrelated. They just happen to be brown people that look like they're doing a different religion, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, like, I didn't talk about that. I didn't talk about the Natalie Maines shit and, like, his, like, defending of Donald Trump, talking about grabbing women by the pussies. Like, yeah. there, there are so many topics that, you know. Yeah, you pretty much just went after the uh, cultural appropriation. I was a white kid in a trailer in Charlotte, North Carolina, listening to Toby Keith on the radio. And that's what I, <laughs> that's like, like, that's what my biggest, like, I'm going to focus on that, yeah. you know, because all this other stuff is, is, is just as relevant. But like, this gets to the core of it, which is like what I'm trying to do, I think, on the album entirely, which is to say, like, you think that you are the fucking voice of the South, but the South is brown. Mm. The South is the fucking brown people that felt unsafe going out. The South is like fucking queer kids being mm. bullied in schools. You know, the South is all that shit, you know, mm. and and he doesn't get to be the fucking spokesman and the narrator of like my culture. And for him to be sitting in fucking wealth, you know, talking, to, singing a song called fucking um, I can't even remember the name of the song. Uh, it's called Trailer doesn't matter. I don't know it. doesn't matter. It's a, it's a lyric in the song. Tra- it's called Trailerhood. Ah. Trailerhood is the name of the song. Okay. And it just feels so like, I don't know. Feels like he never lived it? It's not even just that, though. It's that, like, he's using this group that he doesn't belong to to tell them the story that's theirs. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the story that makes these families, like make their queer kids feel estranged from their life and culture. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, you, you, you don't get to tell people a narrative that's like unfair. That's like ruining their families and, and then not even be a part of that fucking culture. I get it. You know, I think that's a legitimate gripe. I think so. Yeah. The uh, gist of the song is you also wish Toby Keith would have been a cowboy (laughs) and not a musician. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of brilliant. Thank you. That was that was late coming. The song was like, it was stupid for a long time. The song was like, like I think you owe us all an apology or something like yeah. that. And I was like, there's a lyric here that I'm just not getting. Yeah. And then one day I was like listening to it, like thinking about the songs. And I was like, I wish he would have been a cowboy too. Yeah. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Don't you write a song right now. Uh, Adim, is that, it, you said Middle Eastern. Is that a Middle Eastern name? It's a Muslim name, yeah. It's a Muslim name. Where'd it come from? Um, I gave it to myself um, a little over a decade ago. Um, I hadn't left the church yet, but I was like really defined by religion. That was kind of like, I mean, pretty much every facet of my life was really heavily defined by like being a follower of Jesus, trying to study the scriptures, trying to like create heaven on earth, all that. Like my music was very much of that Mm. mission. Um, And I also grew up with like, like kind of a toxic uh, family uh, unit. There was a lot of like, uh, like mental health issues with my, with my mom, especially. Mm. So there was a lot of like, controlling the narrative and sort of being told what to believe and being told what was real. And, um, I think that it was a big moment for me of saying, I don't know what religion is. I don't know what Christianity is, is, I don't know what about it's real and what about it's not. 
but I knew that I had to kind of decide for myself, like with my own senses, like these are the things that I know tangibly, not things that I was told, but things that I'm experiencing. And part of that was saying like, and I'm going to be who I am and not this like cluster of expectations and like missions that were given to me with this name. Mm. So that was kind of why, why Adim, I thought very sincerely that God had given me the name. Hmm. I don't think that anymore, but it is a cool name and it's just kind of stuck with me for too long now. Yeah. So you, you grew up in Syracuse, big church family Bible thumping, or were you the, or were you the, was that your way out of a toxic situation? Um, Neither is, is a fine answer. To yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of both. Like my dad was, um, I remember my dad wasn't really religious before I was born, um, but when we got back, we all got baptized Baptist at one point mm. and my grandmother was furious and she was like, we're Presbyterians. And he was like, I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess my grandparents attended Presbyterian church, uh, pretty infrequently. <laughs> yeah. Infrequently um, enough for your dad to not know. <laughs> yeah. He had no idea. So my dad was, um, was pretty Baptist. I would say probably still, like, I would say that's still kind of his uh, value system. Affiliation. Um, my mom was like really into the charismatic church. Um, is that a church? It's or like is, a, is that it's just... like a subset of like, I think it's like adjacent to evangelical. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, yeah. like if I say the evangelical church, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like the charismatic church is similar. It's like, it's like a cluster of like denominations that all fit under this umbrella that are like, they have like really passionate music. They're like speaking in tongues. They're like people heaving and moving and dancing. And usually there's flags and there's Zionists. And it's really, really strange. Mm. <laughs> like, um, but it's very like emotional. It's very like, it's very witchy. Like there's a lot of like Sounds angels fun. and demons and like there's warfare going on and we have to pray this away. There's a lot of like, like laying in the dark and outstretching your hands towards stuff and people and trying to, you know what I mean? It's Is like, it like LARPing for God? It's LARPing for God. <laughs> that's, that's a really great way of explaining it. Um, so that was, that was kind of the mess that I was in was like my, my father who was like very like conservative, like kind of good old boy archetype. Um, and then my mom who was like very like, pot smoking free spirit like you know so like of course she was like i don't know this is fucking weird let's do this yeah um so usually i would go uh to the baptist church with my with my family and then every once in a while i'd go to a charismatic church through the week with my mom and then we moved to new york um i was like probably 11 or 12 when we moved to new york okay so where'd you live before that north carolina yeah charlotte's okay. where i'm from you're so you're from charlotte moved to syracuse moved to syracuse when i was 12 when you're 12 okay and then i moved here when i was 21 okay so you've done like a third third and a third kind of yeah okay what which uh i guess your formative years would have would have been in in syracuse that's where i like learned to drive and like went to high yeah. school and Worked really hard at like getting rid of my Southern accent. So, yeah. that, you know, like, so yeah. don't be the redneck in school. Yeah. But don't be the, don't be the backwoods Yankee either. Cause yeah. that's, that's, that's out there. That's available yeah. to you. Oh yeah. There was, I remember being really shocked by like how racist people were to me. In Syracuse. In Syracuse yeah. Because, like, because everybody, everybody was, likes to think that, that uh, racism is proprietary to the South. Yeah. And they're like, 
they're safe. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, this is fine. Where do you hear this one? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Man, the most racist place I've ever lived, Los Angeles. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, and, and, you know, it's everybody against everybody else, you know, yeah. the blacks don't like the Asians or the whites and, and, you know, I, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And the whites, you get pulled over by a white cop. He's like, oh, you know, you're, yeah, go ahead. We're not wearing a seatbelt, but that's fine. Right. You know, but you know, get pulled over by a cop of another race. You might have a different experience. Right. It's, it's weird, man. It's weird. We like to pretend like it doesn't exist and it's kind of right, right there. Subtly. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's interesting to, to, to hear people that think that it's just a, it's just a Southern thing. Like all that, you know, those, those, those racist Trumpers down there. It's like, they're everywhere, man. There's yeah. hicks all over the they're place. They're all over. And most of the, like, I got into it real bad this last election cycle with like my, my wealthier Democrat friends where I was like, Hey, it's not poor people that are voting for Trump. <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's statistics for this. You yeah. can look it up. Yeah. Like they're not the ones propping him up. Yeah. You know, cause that's like one of those narratives that just gets peddled so much. Is that like, I mean, even the, even the Capitol riots, like I mm. still have friends that are like, it's a bunch of dumb, poor rednecks. And it's like, yeah. listen, motherfucker, poor rednecks can't take a week off of work to fucking get on a plane to DC yeah. and stay in a nice hotel. Yeah. Yeah. That's not poor people. Read your context yeah, clues. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I didn't have at least two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like, that's not time for me to go. Uh, anyway. Yeah. 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 So, so it's interesting that you, you know, even though you, you moved up, up North and spent a good decade there, you got to, uh, you got to re reignite your Southern roots when you, when you came back and didn't, you yeah. know, got to remember your childhood a little bit. And I heard a lot of that in the album too. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, I don't know, I, I, I think it's cool that you're, that you're hanging on to, that you appreciate that and that you you're not going to forget about that cuz you could have you could choose to be you could have chosen to be a New Yorker if you wanted to I did to. I tried Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I moved here I I was like that was a big part of my narrative. It's like I'm like a I want to be like a poetic like indie cerebral folk artist from New York, you mm. know, and so that was kind of how I build myself. Um and so it, it's only been about probably 5 years since I really like I this really, really strange avenue, but I discovered Roger Allen Wade. I don't know if you know mm -hmm. Roger Allen Wade. He wrote the Jackass theme. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Yeah, nice. Um, but he's I got, thought that was Corona. Hmm? The, the song, uh, the, the Jackass, the TV show. Yeah, yeah. No? That song? No, not that one. Oh, okay. The other one. Okay. It wasn't the thing. It's a... Uh, it's this recurring song. If you got, if if you got, if you're gonna be dumb, you better be tough. Isn't that a John Wayne quote? Is it? I don't know. What's his name again? The guy? Roger Allen Wade. Okay. It's probably so. a John Wayne quote. He's a big John Wayne fan. That okay. would make sense. I'm, I don't know. But well, you got into him? Yeah, I got into him. Um, and uh, I listened to this album. I think it was Southbound Train, and it was just like, it was just like a portrait of like fucking, like blue collar characters who were like I don't know down and out you know and there was so much rich poetry in between mm. you know uh, he describes the sky as uh, looking like rusted chrome you know there's God, just like pretty yeah it's, it's just like it's just poignant um, and I, I mean I think I had I have depression um, and have always had depression but there's a my parents met in a Texaco 
on nice. Sam Wilson Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, had kind of a one night stand, and then I was here, and Dad did the uh, the Presbyterian thing, and <laughs> you know, they they gave it a good a good uh, I don't know, almost thirty years, I think they they tried made it really? a little bit. Um, but that was like, you know, that was like a source of embarrassment to me for a long time. That your parents were. Well, just that like, I was like, like I wasn't intentional. Really? You know, like I was I mean, like, half the people on earth probably aren't intentional, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I guess, I guess I wanted so badly to seem affluent or to seem like I was mm. affluent adjacent, you know? Gotcha. And so like the idea that I was like, just like a fucking poor redneck with a poor redneck story was like really tragic to me. Really? <laughs> you know, it like really was embarrassing. When did you start wrestling with that? Um, as like a source of shame? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would, you've, I would you always remember that. Probably, probably in New York was really when, because I think I was becoming so insecure about everything about myself that was Southern hmm. and that like my parents meeting in at, <laughs> meeting at a Texaco. I mean, the, it's a country song, right? Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. That, that was kind of what roped me in was just like looking at that through the lens of a country song, you know? Yeah. A sky that looks like rusted chrome. Well, I never thought of <laughs> rusted chrome as like a beautiful thing before, but yeah. now it, that's really, really gorgeous. And, and so you show up in in Syracuse. You've you know this feeling like this product of a very, you know, not an affluent situation, right? And you know, just you feel like everybody's looking at you, going, "Oh, Southerner's gonna south." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just feeling like an archetype. Well, and I remember I have this, it's so funny. I had a picture of my cousin in my wallet because she was like one of my only friends. Yeah. You know, I like didn't have a lot of friends. And uh, I have, I pulled my wallet out and another kid saw this picture and he was like, hey, who's a pretty girl? And I was like, that's my cousin. <laughs> and it's like, that's like one of those memories. It's like burned into my brain Shouldn't because the it. math class was just like a hush. You know what I mean? Like, and he, he, I still talk to him sometimes. It was like eighth grade. And he was like, buddy, you got to know why we all think that's very funny. <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, I guess I get it. on. A, <laughs> I guess I get it on an intellectual level, but it still hurts my feelings. <laughs> that's good. What was, what, did you fit in up there? Or did you, did you ever, did you ever feel comfortable? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think I f ever fit in, but I think that that had a lot more to do with like what a fucking damaged person I was probably than it did with me being Southern. Because by the time I got to high school, I had mostly gotten rid of my accent, I think. It was like much more dampened at least. And I was really gothic. I was like painting my nails black and – um I, I think that I was able to kind of like, well, music was a big part of that too. I was like, I was okay at music, which when you're in high school is like being pretty good at music. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so I think that I was able to, I don't know. I don't remember like any, any big negative moments or anybody mistreating me or anything in high school. I was kind of a loner, but like I was super obsessed with, bringing about the second coming of Christ and everything too. So there's, there's a lot of weird shit. So that was going me. on at that point with you. Oh yeah. I was like bringing my Bible to school during my goth days. <laughs> really? Is that, is that a, uh, 
was that a faction of uh, teenage Christianity, the, the goth Christian? Yeah, I think so. I think that was probably a lot more accessible up there than mm. down here because there's a lot that I – like Dashboard Confessional was was really massive up there. Yeah. And I did a tribute to Dashboard last year down here, and it seems like there's a lot less passion <laughs> for that podcast. I don't know, man. Talk to my buddy Zach Roskop. You know that guy? He was there. He was- <laughs> Was Grady there too? Yeah, yeah. Grady. Yeah, but Grady. Okay. Okay. So the and only two people, other young women. Okay. Gotcha. So the only two people that I know that would have been into it were oh, yeah. uh, were there. Okay. Yep. Maybe that's it. It could be it. Yeah, Zach. Zach and Grady are the are the last bastions of Knoxville's uh, emo. <laughs> emo uh, what would be the the um nostalgia. Yeah. Emo nostalgia. They're the remaining vestiges. Yeah. <laughs> They were uh, they were over here I don't know six months ago or so and Grady played some songs for us uh, and then and then uh, he played some like he played some acoustic versions of some of some dashboard confessional songs Amazing. And, it, and it was pretty it was pretty epic he also played uh, uh, Colors of the Wind yeah uh, that's I like I, I like that he's like, a, a vast Disney <laughs> like. He's got the bases covered with the Disney songs. Yeah, it's, it's funny. So, uh, the the goth Christian thing, one, something I wanted to know about that. So, you see somebody with black fingernails and a long black trench coat and dyed hair and all that, and uh, you're like, uh, uh, you know, oh, Satan worshiper. <laughs> you know, yeah. look, look at this Marilyn Manson fan. Is it is it kind of like a don't judge a book by its cover kind of expression? Is that why people did did the the goth the the super Christian goth thing? Maybe is it like is, is it almost like an not 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 ironic in the way that you that you think? But is it almost like making a statement like like oh you think just you know don't judge a book by its cover don't be judgmental. Right. Yeah, there might be some of that. I definitely think it's like meant to be subversive of mm. the greater Christian culture. Gotcha. But I also think like, I don't know. I think the Bible is like fucking gothic as hell. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, like if you think about like the basic premise of it is like Jesus, like like God has to drape himself in human skin to be murdered <laughs> <laughs> like brutally. And then we drink his blood. Like that's pretty fucking metal. It's out there. Like there, I, I think – I think that there's a lot of like imagery that's like really like, well, I mean, like a lot of the satanic panic victims and like music were like actually Christians who were like using biblical imagery in their songs. And really? Like, like what's an example? Like Ozzy Osbourne. Like if you ever listen to uh, Black Sabbath's, um, what's that one fucking album with Sweet Leaf and... Um, I don't know. My, I'm, I'm not. I'm not up on my Black Sabbath like I should be. Yeah, it's like it's like mas- Masters of Reality. Okay, it's like that whole album is like so fucking Christian. <laughs> really? <laughs> like it's like almost preachy if you listen to it now. It's really? Like, it's like this is pretty on the nose. But like people, you know, they thought he was like a Satan worshiper and stuff. But he's like always been a Christian. Really? I think. Yeah. Boy, they got famous, didn't they? Oh, like with the yeah. show, <laughs> yeah, like super that famous. That show was awesome. It was the first ever reality show, I'm pretty sure, it other than great. Cops and Survivor. No shit. <laughs> so my my uh, my wife grew grew up in Indonesia. Her parents were like missionaries, yeah. And so like she just like missed the Ozzy Osbourne show because she oh, was like, man. And so like I'm trying to explain to her anytime like one of them comes up on the TV, I'm like, 
that's yeah. Jack Jack will come up on a reality show or something, and I'm like, they used to have a re- <laughs> like, really good TV show. But she's got, you know, I have a sentimental attachment to it. I loved watching that show. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, it was it was the biggest thing in America. It was awesome. Yeah, they were very strange to watch. I, I didn't really know there were it. Christian undertones and all that stuff that was seemingly pagan. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, big time. Like I think Ozzy like was pretty intentional about like his message. Just kind of the wink and the nod, like the joke's on you. You just don't know it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's so strange. So uh, what was the, did your parents move down when you moved down here? No. No. No, I left. Okay. You left yeah. them. You guys are still talk or no? Uh, no, I don't really, I don't, I don't really talk to either of them. Yeah. It's kind of got, <laughs> just kind of said we're different. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah, it would be a lot to get into. But. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. So when you so when you got uh, down here, you're solo. You're in your twenties or before that. Yeah, I was twenty one. I just turned twenty one a few months before I moved down here. It's a tough time to strike out, but I mean, then again, you probably you know don't have a wife and kids at that time either. So it's kind of just you, right? Yeah, yeah. It's time to do it. It was weird. I moved in with these like evangelicals from like. So I moved down here to join a church plant. Yeah. Um, it's weird how many people move here to do church plants. Yeah. <laughs> What's weird is like, why are you planning more? There's a fucking million of them. Like just join one of the other ones. Um, <laughs> but I, so I had this like, I had this really corny worship song called meet me in the theater. Mm. That was like all about like, like, you don't have to go to church to meet God. Like you can meet God anywhere. I'm going to use my youth pastor voice for do it. it. That's like, great. You can meet God in the theater. Like you can go to the movies with your friends and the Holy Spirit's going to be there to spend time with you and to commune with you and your friends. You know, I, I almost like, heard the music behind that. It's when good. You were saying it. Soft just voice is important yeah. when you're talking. You know, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I had this song and then I was like really depressed. I really was super depressed and I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I need to get the fuck out of here. Um, and so I was like, maybe God has a, a plan for me to leave. And so I was just like searching for music pastor jobs because I was doing, I think at the time I was a music pastor for a church. I can't remember if I quit in advance of this or not, but it was like something I knew I could do. I was like, eh, I can make, I could make a living probably at some, <laughs> some point, just like making the feelings come out of the guitar yeah. during the prayer time. And uh, so I looked and there was a church in Knoxville that was meeting in a theater and they were like, meet us at the theater. And I was like, this is it, God, <laughs> you know, was it Knox Life? No, it was it was a church that was modeling itself entirely after Knox Life mm. and meeting with their pastoral staff and stuff regularly. So we were like doing the exact same thing that Knox Life was doing. Mm. We were called Outcast Fellowship. OK, um, we had like 10 members. And they were like, we can't pay you, but you should come because clearly God wants you here. And I was like, <laughs> fucking yeah, he does. You know. So I moved in with these strangers that went to the church and just kind of lived with these <laughs> conservative evangelical people. And you were the music pastor or the music. And I was the music pastor of that church for like six months. And then I got really like, oh, I was in this because I had changed my name to a deem, you know, and I was like, I was like, I need to get as close to like the original church as possible. Like I want to look like one of the real followers of Jesus. And so it like, didn't take me long to be like, they were Jewish. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I got to become Jewish. Um, and so I found this messianic synagogue, which is like a sub 
subculture in Christianity. It's like its own denomination. They Some of them don't consider themselves Christians at all. They're, they consider themselves a subset of Judaism. That would be unequivocally false mm. <laughs> because, because they believe Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of mankind, and they believe in the Bible. So those yeah, are things that are incongruent with being Jewish. Yeah, that, that's uh, uh, they're mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty big, pretty big deal breaker for the old <laughs> Judaism claim. But um, they were like doing um, doing like songs in like Hebrew. It was like all upbeat. It's all in minor keys. It sounded like Mumford and Sons. So I was like, <laughs> "Fuck yeah, this is right. This makes sense." Um, and so I started doing that. I started wearing the tzitzit. I had a kippah all the time. This is my Jewish dimi phase. What's what's what are those two things? Uh, so the the tzitzit are like the little ropes that dangle down. from your belt. Yeah. So I would have two in the back and then two in the front, and, uh, and the spock. The... <laughs> exactly. And then the kippah is like a like a yarmulke that I would wear, like a knitted little uh, coaster. Oh yeah. On the back of my head. Okay. And. Um, yeah, I got really into that and trying to follow the the 633 mitzvot and like seriously considering Dude. converting to Judaism. Left the church, um, and then I started reading. Started reading like a bunch of uh, universalists and like Sufi mystics and like all kinds of stuff that did not gel with Messianic Judaism, because Messianic Judaism is very conservative. Hmm. It's like really heavily Zionist. I remember I went to this convention and they they like had all these speakers and like I met with this guy who had been in Israel for like 30 years and he was like he was like a deemed you don't understand. You can see where Israel ends and Palestine begins because the grass is just dead in Palestine. God is so clearly the trees don't grow in Palestine. It's literally there's a line where God's hand has touched it. And so I came back from that and I was like this is crazy. Like, I need to get to Israel. And I had a friend who was actually a Christian missionary who had lived in Jordan. And so I I told her that. And she was like, yeah, they pull up the fucking trees. <laughs> She's like, yeah, they like. They so don't- you can't hide in them and attack. <laughs> She's like, yeah, they don't let grass grow in Palestine. Like, they take the water. They take the trees. They they. They burn everything down. It's kind of a fucked up you know? situation over there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that and I was getting like fed like this the narrative, other narrative through a very specific lens, like yeah. really heavily slanted towards like Netanyahu's a good guy kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and so that was like a really big like, ooh, maybe I don't know what's going on here, and um, yeah, it just escalated with me increasingly. Like I was just like to the point where like every day I'd be like. God, you have to send me a fucking angel today. If I don't see an angel today, I, I can't do this I'm anymore. Out. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I need some physical manifestation. And then finally I was like, I just had read enough and I was done. And uh, I didn't take communion. And uh, the rabbi's daughter asked me why I hadn't taken communion. And I said, I don't know if I believe Jesus actually existed. Mm. And she was like, I don't think you can work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you should get a job, a new one, <laughs> a non-believer job, maybe. Oh man! So, but that's—I mean—I uh, feel like that would be a—that uh, would be a whole um, like, you know, that would be something that they could take uh, on as a challenge. And uh, they did. And, I'm making—I'm being silly about they it. They did. Oh yeah, yeah. I had to meet with the rabbi a few times. There you were, did. There were, there were 
continued dialogues. They didn't kick you out immediately. No, no, no. Oh, that's good. They were pretty generous about it. But I also wasn't gay. If I'd been gay, they would have. You know, I was like very like very cis straight identifying at that time. Like Mm. no, not allowing myself to entertain any of my sexuality or gender issues. Like this, I'm in the pocket. This is, you know. But you never came out. I heard that on the album too. Never did. What does that, what does that mean? Um, (laughs) I, I think, so I left, I left the synagogue and, um, there's a series of, uh, things that happened there. And then I ended up, uh, in New York and it was the first time I'd ever thought like, I, well, it had been like a while of me thinking maybe I was gay, but I didn't know. Like, I was really anxious about like, like, I didn't want to go out on a date or something and then like end up in a situation where I'm like about to kiss someone and then be like, whoop, nope, oopsies, didn't like it, gotta go. <laughs> been, re- I don't know. I just like yeah. had this like, <laughs> I'm gonna finger gun my way out of this like <laughs> uncomfortable situation. Um, wait, I, and I think like it's really funny because I think. Like in that song, I talk about like I'd been othering people since the day that I was been taught to other people. And that's like so much it because it's like, well, I'm probably not really gay. And it's like, well, people who aren't gay aren't thinking about kissing boys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's not really much more to it than like if you're thinking about how you wish you could go on a date with a man. Might want to entertain you know, that idea. You know, like that's not a thing my straight friends were were processing. Right. But I just so much like didn't know – I don't know that I could identify with gay people at all, Mm. you know? So it was like, well, I'm missing this part that would just like, like, I don't know. I thought I would just know. Yeah, I'm a gay for sure. (laughs) For sure. That's what I am. Um, And so I didn't, I mean, I didn't start like kind of like living into that and being more out, you know, flirting with guys and stuff until 2011 and that was the first time I ever wrote that. I have a journal entry that says, decidedly, I am bisexual. <laughs> like, like, I was like... The jury's back. Yeah, exactly. And- exactly. I've made out with the right number of men. <laughs> Empirical evidence I liked shown. it. I definitely liked it. Um, and so th- I think it was shortly after that that, like, I started writing letters with my now my wife. And so, like, we kind of fell in love. And I was on a cruise ship during this time working on ships as a musician. Oh, nice. And so it was like, like, I think I saw one of my friends on, before I got on the ship and I had shaved legs and I was like being loud about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then I went on cruise ships and like, so there was never a chance really to, I didn't talk to anybody about this because I was like, well, I'm going to get on cruise ships. I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to figure out how I feel about this. And then mm. when I get off ships, like I'll come out and I'll, yeah. you know, um, And then on ships, I like fell in love with my wife writing these handwritten letters. And so it's like, by the time I got off ships, I was like in a committed relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, this, it seems cheap for me to be like, by the way, I wasn't always straight. (laughs) You know know what I mean? It seemed like, it seemed like I was mocking queerness to come out at that point. And also her family was like, like, they're really lovely people. Like, I feel really grateful for them and to mm. be in their family but like they have pretty conservative values right. and so i think i was really anxious especially in those early days when i was getting to know them like I, like i didn't want to be like here i am <laughs> like you, you you're you're possibly your future son-in-law take I'm, it or leave it i'm a queer atheist and i <laughs> you know what i mean it's like that's not that's not how you want to roll up to the party um 
And I was trying really hard because she was still a Christian at the time. So I was like, really like, maybe there's a way for me to, you know, to reimagine this belief and to like recommit mm. to the mythology in a way that doesn't feel like I'm betraying myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just never, I just never came out until, I mean, this album is kind of that. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, I really weighed it and was seriously considering it. And um, I talked to my brother, Caleb, and he was like, he's, he was, <laughs> well, his sexuality is a, a bit more fluid too. But at the time he was openly gay and he was in a relationship with a guy and he was like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, just don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right. But you know, it's like, it is, it's like a really important part of me. It feels like, I gotcha. think, I think working on this album helped me realize a lot that like probably gender is a lot more of what I'm feeling as like, like me wanting to be perceived in a way that I'm not being perceived. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I think in my mind before it was like, it's really important that people know my sexuality. But I think that what that was, was me kind of blurring those lines a little bit mm. and not really understanding like, oh, this is because like, I don't feel like I'm being treated like who I am. Mm. And that had so much to do with the fact that I was like always feeling like I was just kind of being like treated like one of the guys, like, yeah. like everywhere you go. And I'm like, well, that's not how I feel. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Which is something I'm still, you know, kind of processing through. But. Does it matter? Does gender matter to you? Um, I think it matters in as much as we've been socialized to think that it matters. You know what I mean? Um, like, I think people have really strong and powerful ideas about what it means to be a man or a woman. Mm. And I think that they're like really intentional about like sort of forcing those concepts on people. Um, I mean, like if that weren't the case, gender reveal parties wouldn't be such a, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're we're, assign- we're we're getting them out there as uh, soon as we can now. Yeah, yeah. It's like somebody tells me that they're gonna have a baby, and I'm like, "What are? Is it a dick or is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, tell me what its genitals look like. I gotta know." Did you see that plane crash at the gender reveal? No, <laughs> it was in a. I forget. It was in like a Spanish speaking country, and they did like a like a blue or a pink tail out of the airplane, and then it went around, made around, and then crashed right into the water. And there's video of it. Mm. It's like it's just. Heartbreaking. Beautiful metaphor. It's kind of weird, man. Yeah. It's, I don't, I mean, I think it's, it's been important to me. I, I really felt um, like the more I read about, I was reading about non-binary gender identity a lot and feeling like, like, this is how I feel. This is like what I, what makes sense for me. Um, And then finally I was like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to accept this. Like, I feel like this is right. I feel like this fits me. Um, and so I kind of made, made a, a an announcement just <laughs> it's like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have like, I didn't want to go to Kroger and people be like, Hey, uh, what's up? Why you wear makeup now? I just <laughs> didn't, I just didn't want to, ha- I was like, I'm yeah. just going to do a thing. And then I'll be like, yeah, I said something about it on Facebook, you know, in that way, like people will maybe <laughs> not ask questions yeah. and they'll go like, Oh, I'll find that Facebook post. Cause <laughs> oh, look, he's got a new album out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think – and then somebody asked me that first week. They were like, um, what pronouns should I use with you? And I was like, you should use whatever pronouns feel right. Mm. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, some people have used she with me. Some people have used he. And some people have used they. And that's all fine. It's mm. all fine. And then um, that lady made a post about me. And she was like, I saw a deem and he looked beautiful today. And I was like, I'm not a he. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was like a visceral response. Yeah. You know, which was very, un- 
unfair to her. Like obviously, right. like she was doing the yeah, right thing. Yeah, you just gave her the yeah, yeah. Like I said, do what you want. Yeah. Um, but it was a good moment for me to realize, like, oh, I care about this more than I realized I yeah. did. So you made an announcement that there's <laughs> that there's no news. <laughs> it's like I am proclaiming nothing. Nothing. Yeah. No, basically, nothing has changed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be shopping here next week. Yep. At the same Kroger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's interesting. It takes bravery, I think, and then especially in the South, you know, and then and in a red state. Luckily, we're in a you know, luckily we're in a university town. It's um, true. Where you know, uh, there's tolerance. Uh, some more than there is other places in, yeah. in our in our great state. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm sure it's not been easy to explain. Yeah, it's um, it's probably new to a lot of people. It is. It's weird too because like it's something that I spent so much time. I think that's like kind of like a pretty common joke in like the trans and non-binary community, where there's like a pipeline that starts with like, for no reason at all, I'm very interested in this. (laughs) (laughs) This is just something I'd like to know more about. You know, (laughs) I think so that I can be a better ally. I'm going to be a better ally to these people. And next thing you know, you're the president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think, I think I was like very much a part of that. Um, like, you know, reading a lot of blogs, reading a lot of books, following a ton of people um, who are in that community, especially people who talk about gender and gender dynamics a lot. And so I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's weird for me when it's, when it is so new for people, because I feel like I've been so, you know, especially the last year because like I in a normal year I'm at the bar three or four times a week like playing cover gigs for Mm -hmm. people you know what I mean so there's like there's so much weirdness of like well like in music and probably to some extent in work in general because like you don't want to be at work most of the time like you don't you didn't you didn't choose like most people don't choose their jobs because they like love the profession necessarily, or they love the people there. Like it's people that you're kind of forced to interact with. Mm. And so there's like, kind of like this role that you're playing and this character that you're kind of putting off, which is like a little bit superficial and a little bit like not you, even though it's you, mm. you know what I mean? It's like a, yeah. like a sub character that you're playing. Kind sure. of. And I think, I think gender operates within the same framework of like, like, masculinity and femininity and how you present and what comes forward in different Mm. situations and everything, I think plays into that same thing. Gotcha. And for me, I was dealing with these layers of like performative masculinity that had been kind of like part of my life since I was a child and doing feminine things and being told that that was wrong and bad. Yeah. And then also this, this added layer of like my work, which was as this cover gig person, you know, I was playing Captain Redbeard, which was kind of like this cruise ship routine that I'd worked up you know, I know 400 plus covers, everything wow. from Lizzo to Garth Brooks, you know, and I'm like going to these bars and I'm like meeting people and I'm like, oh, hey, how are you? How's the wife doing? And it's like, I don't like these people, <laughs> you know, like on a very basic level. Like, Playing the part. Yeah. And like, it felt familiar. Yeah. It felt like, like a familiar thing that you've done. It's just really strange. It's like yeah. you guys, like, like I'm in a bar full of people who are Trump supporters and Trump voters, you know what I mean? Who are people who are like actively voting for like legislation that like. intends to do away with me people like me you know and and i'm like how the hell you guys been yeah 
let's we need to have a beer right now yeah you know what i mean because that's that's who captain redbeard is like that's Mm. this role that i have to play in this context Mm. and so it's like there's this like mix-up of identity when you're like stepping into that field every day where like all of a sudden i'm like at the food at the at the uh at the market like the produce market in market square and i like run into somebody and they're like oh hey deem and i'm like oh hi (laughs) you know it's so to see you because in my head i'm like you're like somebody that i work with yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that same, like, there's like this barrier that's like, we, but, but when you're in that world, it's like, it's really hard to differentiate because people begin to like, consider you a really close friend, you know? And, and it, and in my mind, it's like, there's a gray area. There's like a gray area, yeah. you know, just like with the people that you work with, like in environments at different jobs where you're like, these are my people. And then you realize like, well, they were kind of my people in that environment because <laughs> like, yeah. That was like the mo- the closest I could get to feeling like myself. It was convenient yeah. at the time. I mean, when I worked on cruise ships, it was like, fuck, I had friends just because they spoke English. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was that about? What was that like? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do the cruise ship thing? Just to be a working musician? Because it feels like it's kind of an important part of this story being that it, it kind of is a catalyst for where you are now and where you ended yeah. up, at least relationship wise. Yeah, it's really... It's really weird. I got, I, I had kind of a mental breakdown in New York. Um, I got really depressed. I this is New York, the Syracuse. I was this, living there the f- again. This was again. Okay. It's a, it's a tough timeline to follow. No, I got it. So 10, 10 years in Charlotte, 10 years in Syracuse. You come back to Knoxville. You're here. So how I'm here for a year. And then you go back and to then Syracuse. I moved back to Syracuse for like two years. After you didn't know if you believed in God or not. Then I go on cruise ships. Gotcha. Then I come back here and then. Yeah. So the cruise ship thing. Syracuse. Yeah, I got stuck in Syracuse. I had a bad relationship up there. I got really depressed. I was smoking weed every day. I wasn't leaving my parents' basement. Yeah. (laughs) Like they had left. I was like staying in their house in New York and I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I gotta do something. Yeah. So I found a cruise ship job on on Craigslist, which was kind of- Where was the, where did, where was the port? Uh, Port in, in uh, Miami. Wow. Yeah. So I, I drove- down to Florida. My parents lived in Fort Lauderdale at that point. Hmm. So I drove down, left my van at my parents' house, and then they drove me to the port. <laughs> and then I just lived on a boat for six months. Um, and I played cover songs. Actually, I didn't know maybe 20 cover songs. And they wanted me to know 150 at least. So I just like made up a, a fucking list and like sent it over. And I was like, I can play all these. And they were like, okay, we need a video of you playing 30 seconds of six songs. So I like learned 30 seconds of six songs, (laughs) sent them over. And they were like, you're hired. So like, I had like a binder with printed out chord sheets on it. So I don't know any of these fucking songs. You showed up. They're like, damn it. Catfished again. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) it. I catfished my way on a cruise ship. Um, But yeah, it was eventually learned them. I did, yeah. Well, if you play Brown Eyed Girl enough times, you just like it just never leaves you. Yeah. What's the cruise ship like life like? Is it sad? Is it fun? It was sad for me. Really? Yeah, I was really sad on it. I think like I think I would be better at it now. But was it the time that you kind of got to decide who you were and figure out a little bit of of who you are because you were there with nobody? I mean, you didn't know anybody. Oh, I had so much inner dialogue. Yeah, yeah I bet. for sure. Yeah, I had my I had my first licensing when I was on the ship um, for a show on Discovery Channel. What do you, oh, you got a one of your songs licensed? Yeah, nice. It was a <laughs> it was a song on a show called Sons of Guns. Oh yeah, which was like all, Jupiter Entertainment. Yeah, produced yeah. It. 
Yeah, that's it. Is that how they found out about you from yeah. Knoxville? So Dylan was like, do you know Dylan Turflinger? Uh-uh. He was like the audio guy at Jupiter okay. he was at the hive now. Um, but yeah, he just kind of snuck it in with some other <laughs> songs. Yeah. It's like, here's some mailbox money. He, he sent me, he literally sent me the scene and he was like, can you write something to this by tomorrow? That sounds like Johnny Cash's hurt really? because they want to use Johnny Cash's hurt and there's no fucking way they're going to yeah. pay for it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. So I just like scored something. I just did coffee all night and I wrote a, an imitation of Johnny Cash's hurt. And that song was like really heavily like me, like in my feelings, like, Really? Just internalizing so much shit. Um, and that was like the, I mean, that song was still probably one of the big, biggest success moments I've had. I think. Really? Yeah. I got a bunch of people from like uh, bunker shows writing me, telling me what an inspiration I was. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, it's like mm, you're not going to like me. <laughs> I'm glad you like my song. <laughs> you're really not going to like me. Somebody wrote me recently and they were like, are you the same person that did the Sons of Guns song? I'm like, I am. <laughs> they're like, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're like, they're like, I don't think, I don't think they were a lipstick wearing kind of person when that Sons of Gun song came out. And I think about this. Uh, well, so you met, you, did you meet your wife before you got on the boat and you guys kept the, the thing going? Um, we met at a coffee shop. She was going to a Christian school in New York. Okay. And I was, uh, post-Christian, but it was a payday stop between gigs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I played the coffee shop and uh, she was the only person there that knew Khalil Gibran, who's a favorite writer of mine. Okay. Um, and so like almost a year later, she was doing an art exchange. So she was like, tr- she didn't want to, she was like done with commerce. She's like, I just want to trade art. And I was reading this book uh, by Lewis Hyde called The Gift, which deals a lot with like, uh, it's like an anthropological anthropological study of like the history of commerce that like basically asserts that like everybody, everybody thinks that commerce is based on like uh, trades, like barter, but like actually all the oldest forms of commerce that exist in the world are gift based. Mm. Like there's no expectation. Like I give you a gift mm. knowing that you're going to reciprocate with value something to me that I need. You know what I mean? It's Burning Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I was like really obsessed with this idea and like workshopping, like how can I trade like volunteer hours at like a soup kitchen for CD, you know, like shit like that. So I wrote her a poem. She sent me a painting and uh, we both included letters and her note arrived and the envelope was covered with like a Khalil Gibran quote. And so I was like, oh shit. And so we, before I got on the ship, we're writing letters when I was kind of just sitting in Florida waiting for my assignment and then uh, kept writing. So we had only seen each other once before we were like in love with each other. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. That's not the part you fall in love with is their face. It's true. Hopefully. She has a lovely face. So that worked out. <laughs> it could have been a bummer. <laughs> Wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You guys... Why'd you decide Knoxville? Why'd you decide to settle down here? She doesn't have any ties here, right? No, I don't know if we ever did. Really? It just happened? Yeah. I I don't know if we still have. Yeah. yeah. It's always like, I don't know. You got I, somewhat... I mean, you have a, a membership to the Pure Magic Car Wash, so... That's true. They've got seven locations now. They do? <laughs> so you've got but they are all in Knoxville. You've got roots. So maybe they'll expand. That's what we're hoping. <laughs> I feel like you've committed. <laughs> My kid, my kid was born here 
Um, and he like, he like feels pretty connected to the area. He's like only three and a half, but I like, yeah. like I, I pitched him a couple months ago. I was like, Hey, you ever think about living on the beach? Cause we could live on the beach if you wanted to. Cause we'll go to St. Petersburg sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be nice to live on the beach. Yeah. And so I pitched him a bunch of ideas. I was like, we could go to New York. It snows up there. It's really beautiful. It's really cool. We got a lot of friends up there. He's like, I think I want to live in, uh, in the blue mountains in Tennessee. That's what he calls the smoky mountains. Cause when the fog rolls in, the mountains all look blue. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty dead set on it. He told, he told my wife, we went and picked her up afterwards and he was like, Papa and I decided to buy a house in this in the mountains in Tennessee. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's what happened, but <laughs> You've, your vote's been cast, kid. Well, I I hope you stay because I think you're an asset. Yeah, uh, thanks. And, and um, just another, you know, just another part of our fabric that's important. You know, yeah. We, I mean, we love it here in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot like. We we moved into Park Ridge, and moving into Park Ridge means like getting maybe uh, too intimate with like the local politics of downtown, which was like really undesirable for yeah. for us. There's a lot of bitching going on in Park Ridge all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like it, that was really because we're both like pretty staunch leftists politically, yeah. and so to kind of go into a circle of like sort of like you know, homeowning Democrats mm-hmm. in Park Ridge was like a really weird, like, well, we're on the same side, kind of. <laughs> you know? yes. It is like a really uncomfortable space to to be in. And yeah. um, it's hard to know how to, how to criticize the city when it does things, you know, because it's like to so many people, well, it's the good guys doing these things. So they're well-intentioned. And for me, it's like, well. Yeah, it's, it gets tribal and soapboxy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Big time. But yeah, anyway, I, I love Knoxville a lot. It's, I think, I think it is for me in many ways, like the first place I felt like myself. That's amazing. I came here. I like, I drank a a handle of whiskey down in the old city with a bunch of bums. And it was just like, this is, this is like home. This is such a weird hub of transient creative souls you Mm. know and i think that even even if they change the marketing plan for the city that's still how i (laughs) like the knoxville that i that i see yeah well what'd we miss there's lots out there i'm sure anything else anything else you want to talk about other than the album which i recommend everybody listen to oh yeah cast iron pansexual cast iron pansexual Cause it's fucking awesome. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's good. Do you want to start now? Yeah. Should I press go <laughs> <laughs> now that we know each other? There was a moment like, like towards the beginning where I, where I, uh, my brain, I was like, Oh fuck, they tricked me. We're going, we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to press go and, and see what happens, but I oh, haven't was, done that yet. So it was re- <laughs> excellent. That's perfect. That's, the, that's the kind of encouragement that I need. Um, no, thanks for thank you for listening to the album, uh, dude. I, I I spun it once to familiarize myself with your latest work, and then I have spun it probably four or five more times because I wanted to. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, my wife likes it. My kids like it too. Very cool. Yeah, that's a 
fuck me i'm going to heaven that's that's the children's song in the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can we get an edited version of that for the, for, for the kids no i do I, I think it's a great album and it's 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 worth um from experience i can say it's worth sitting down and listening to every single lyric Thank um, you. and 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 trying to trying to feel what you're trying to make us feel but um you know I, it, it's also really easy easy to listen to uh, when you're when you're doing the dishes or in the <laughs> car. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's you can take it in either way. That's such a nice thing to say about it. I so much of my music is like I'm cooking dinner. I'm like doing the dishes. Like tunes are on. Yeah. So I like I like to imagine it being consumed in that context. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I I don't I don't say that as a compliment. I'm just saying that's what that's how I felt. So I'm glad to know that it's taken that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's great to it's it's great to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for uh I'm I'm glad that Will kind of orchestrated us getting to sit and chat. Yeah, thanks Will Wright. Yeah. Shout out to the homie. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we can do it again sometime. Heck yeah. I got nothing, you know, I just, uh, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing still. I'm just doing, I'm just living the same year. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to get back to it as soon as you can safely. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to see you out there playing the new album and hopefully some other music too. Yeah. Pumped. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. That was excellent. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button so uh, you get notified when the new episodes of the podcast come out. And uh, follow us on Instagram, at South of Scruffy. So glad you guys are here. Thank you so much. Take care. Be good. We'll see you next week, all right? Pitchwire. Play me out.